has a message for liberals and the mainstream media. You can't handle the truth! So, buckle up, snowflakes, because we're about to deliver the politically direct best in conservative commentary, news, and investigative reports. We're telling the truth, and we're not gonna stop. Okay, liberals, back under the bridge with the rest of your fellow trolls, and oh yeah... Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots. They are special, special people. On RSPRadio1.com. Welcome to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sori at the Patriot Factor. It's Tuesday night, the 1st of August, and welcome to it. Hello, Diane. Hello, Craig, and how are you today? I'm pretty good. You know why? Why? Because I had today in the Trump next indictment pool. Oh, okay. I did. I, I When I filled out my, my pool numbers, I, I said August 1st. He's going to be indicted on August 1st. Okay. So I win the big money, whatever that is. I have no idea. Well, you know what? It kind of seems like the indictments now are coming down every week or so. Yeah. It's it's all a, a joke. It's a witch hunt bar none. Now, this uh, indictment today was on the J6, right? January 6th deal. Yeah. Yes. And uh, what it was was four new indictments. And some of the charges are conspiracy to defraud the United States, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, Hmm. obstruction and attempt to obstruct an official proceeding, and conspiracy against rights. Now, Diane, let this be a lesson to you. Never ask people to march peaceably and patriotically towards the Capitol building. That is what is so amazing. I have watched that video time and time again, and there is not even one iota of incitement in anything he said. He told people to march peacefully. Never once did he call for any kind of violence, acts of incitement, rebellion, Whatever you want to call it, they just were not there. He said peaceably. Peacefully and patriotically. Yes. Don't ever ask people to march anywhere peacefully and patriotically because you will be indicted. This is beyond, basically beyond anything we have seen in our lifetimes, I think. It's a good thing he didn't also add in there, show respect, because then they'd hang him. 
I mean, this you know? this is ridiculous. More ridiculous still is the fact that there are six unnamed co-conspirators. Unnamed. Unnamed. Isn't that convenient? They do all this, but they don't have the guts to put out the other names. Who are these people? You know, I mean, it's going to come out sooner or later. You you can't you can't have a an indictment with six unnamed people and not eventually name them. No, that's true. You can't. No, you can't. You've got a name. You can't do innuendos. You either have to say everything outward and in full. Or just shut your mouth. Well, how's the defense supposed to prepare against unnamed witnesses or unnamed co-conspirators? Your guess is as good as mine, but you know what? In this country right now, there are two completely different sets of justice. You know The reason that. this came out today and not, let's say, next week or in two weeks when they could name the names. This is all to take off attention away from what Biden is facing now. You think? I know. You're and becoming as just, cynical as I am. Yeah. Well, you know, it's not just Biden. I've been perusing a lot of social media today just to see the mood of the country. And if you remember, I'm one of the first ones that said, I don't believe the big guy is Biden. I believe it's Obama. Biden is the intermediary guy. Well, you should see all the people now saying that. Well, I, yeah, I think it's true. But I, I stand by the, the fact that the big guy referred to on Hunter Biden's laptop was always Joe. I'm not so sure about no, that either. I, I am because we've got whistleblowers that are saying it, um, you know, and, and all sorts of things. So Joe was the big guy he was referring to. But the real big guy, the big guy with the big influence was always Obama. But You know why? You know, Joe was the big guy to Hunter because that was the guy Hunter could go to. Then Joe, like you say, was the intermediary who would take it up the ladder. You know why I don't agree with that? For one reason. The Vice President of the United States cannot really do anything. It's only the President. That's right. So, so, Hunter called his dad the big guy, but he knew that without Obama's permission, nothing would be done. Right. When those people went to the White House, I guarantee you, they didn't just meet with Biden. They no, met I, with Obama. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But the big guy reference in all those emails, all those text messages, all that crap, that guy, the mention of big guy, was always the mention of Joe Biden. Because that's, the way, that's the way Hunter referred to him. That's because he was the guy that could that could take the business, the family crime syndicate business, and expand it because he could get to Obama. Well, I'm not a hundred. I, I I would give it a good maybe you know eighty percent Biden, 
but I think some references were to the real big guy. I've read through those papers time and time again, and some of them just don't add up to Joe. It goes higher than Joe. But it doesn't matter. That's technicalities. What matters is the truth. These little picky things here and there don't really matter. The truth is Joe Biden could not have done anything. It had to go above Biden to Obama. Right. And uh, I agree. And, And my point is Hunter was too stupid and too far down the totem pole to get to Obama himself. He couldn't do that. So he had How to go through. How about too drugged out? And, and that. And, and, <laughs> and too busy with hookers and, you know. Um, he couldn't get to Obama himself. That's why he had to go to Daddy. And Daddy was the big guy because Daddy could get things done because Daddy had access to Obama where Hunter didn't. But, you know, speaking of Hunter, let's talk about the Devin Archer uh, testimony that was given behind closed okay. doors yesterday. Why had they? Why did they do it behind closed doors? Because we're already learning pretty much everything that was said. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It, nothing has really changed from, remember, Bobolinsky? Right. Okay, nothing has really changed from that. Except for one fact, Joe Biden, Daddy Joe, absolutely lied to the American people when he said he had no knowledge about Hunter's business dealings and was not involved. He was intimately involved. What? He lied? He lied. Why, I'm shocked. In in fact, I'm so shocked. My, uh, My segment tonight is a revolving door of lies. (laughs) <laughs> but but you know we'll get to that here in a little bit you know i'm glad you brought up the whole tony bobolinsky thing and i'll tell you why nothing like you say nothing has changed right. from what tony bobolinsky said but what devin archer did yesterday was confirm everything tony bobolinsky said so now exactly. we have a whole second source corroborating the first source Exactly. And that's big. That's very important. But what's even more ridiculous in this entire scenario is the Democrats making excuses. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's rich. How about that guy from New York, the representative congressman from New York? His name escapes me right now. But he, he stood on TV today. I had to watch it a couple of times to actually believe that someone can be that stupid. Or, I mean, what he was saying over and over, oh, well, Joe Biden never, you know, got involved with the business. Yeah, he might have talked to them about the weather, what they had for dinner. Oh, please. Really? Really? Does he think the American public is that Stupid. Well, see, that's the thing, Diane. All these liberals, these elected liberals in the mainstream media, they're trying to convince the public that that this is what happened and that it's a nothing burger, you know. And and they're hoping 
that people are A, stupid enough, and B, gullible enough to believe the BS. Yeah, and it you is know? a lot of BS. Now, that guy, that, that Democrat representative from New York, I had never heard of him before Either he came I. out in front of the, the TV cameras. Um, the guy's name is Dan Goldman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, I had, I had never heard uh, of him. But, yeah, he said, yeah, well, you know, he said hi. I mean, it would be rude not to say hi if, if you're – you know, if your son's on the phone and says, uh, you know, hey, say hi to my friends. And, you know, they talked about the weather and they, you know, how's things going. You know, chit-chat, small talk. You know, come on. Uh, you know, I mean, this guy is a laughing stock, but I guarantee you they sent him out there to say that because nobody knows who he is. That could very well be. But something else I found very interesting today, and I'm sure you've heard of this name, Jonathan Turley. Oh, sure. He's the uh, constitutional attorney. He happens to be a Democrat, but he's a constitutionalist. Well, very interesting what he said today. He said, you know, as per Devin Archer's closed-door testimony... He feels that the Biden family influence peddling scheme is shaping up to be one of the greatest corruption scandals in the history of Washington. Now, That's it's, major coming from a Democrat. Well, it's interesting that Turley would say that. Now, Turley is a constitutionalist. He's a he's a, a letter of the law kind of guy. He's an attorney, but he's a letter of the law kind of attorney, right? Right. And all through this, all through this, he has been rather tacit, you know, when it comes to the the scope of this and the implications of this. You know, he he agrees with us on a lot of things, you know, and and you know, some things he's a little bit softer on, you know, when it comes to the the whole scandal that's going on here. But for him to come out yesterday and say that, that this is shaping up to be one of the biggest scandals in history, is really quite telling. Because now he has kind of gone off the the soft edges of this, and he's saying this is massive. Yeah. Well, he went even further. He said these accounts of almost two dozen calls made with these associates— some of whom are the most corrupt figures in Europe, where the vice president would call in, and then there's like a break there. That's the point of influence peddling. When Archer said that he was there to sell the brand, the brand is influence peddling, and Joe Biden is the object of that influence peddling. Yeah, Biden is the brand. You know, and and it also came out in Archer's testimony yesterday that the whole Burisma get the prosecutor fired thing, that was all handled initially by a phone call where the the Burisma people told Hunter, you got to start earning all the money we're paying you, get your dad on the phone and let's get this guy fired. At which point, Hunter... 
according to Devin Archer, called his dad, then the vice president, and literally five days later, Joe Biden was in Ukraine and the prosecutor got fired. Now, that's where the middle guy comes in. That's where Biden, the middle guy, comes in. They had Hunter call his big guy, his big guy, which is Joe Biden. Joe Biden then had to go to Obama and say, we've got to get this handled right away because Joe Biden isn't just going to get on Air Force Two and fly to Ukraine without the okay of his big guy. Exactly. Exactly. Well, here's here's a little funny side note to all this. When, um, you know, he was in court last week and everything, no, 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 you we're not taking your plea deal. Well, <clears throat> apparently the judge, her name Mary Ellen Norieka, asked Hunter Biden if he was a practicing member of the bar and right. where. Apparently he does have a legal license or here's the difference. His license was suspended over two years ago. Yeah, he told the judge that he was a member of the bar in Connecticut. Connecticut, yes. And she says, you're a member of the bar there? He said, yes. Not so much. No, actually on his record it says he is currently not in good standing. Yeah, now folks, you're going to laugh, okay, but I'm going to tell you the truth. The reason he's not in good standing was he did not pay his $75 fee. Since 2018, all this millions of dollars and he couldn't part with $75. (laughs) You've got to laugh at the ludicrousy of these people. Well, but bear in mind, you know, he was spending all of his money on crack and hookers and strippers. Mm-hmm. Okay. He he did not have the $75 a year uh, to stay in good standing with the Connecticut bar, nor apparently did he have the money to go pick up his computer from the repair shop. Well, that he was probably just too high and forgot. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, he's raking in the money like crazy from China, from Ukraine, from all these foreign entities. Just, I mean, just raking it in. And he can't pay a $75 a year fee to stay in good standing with the Connecticut bar? Nope. Nope. Couldn't. I'm guessing, I'm guessing he thought he paid it, but it was a whole different bar tab that he was paying. Ah, that could very well be. (laughs) Uh, That's just my guess. But I raised a question today on social media. And it was a question to the effect, how long do you think it will take Daddy Joe and his wayward son Hunter to start singing and give up Obama in all this? And the responses have ranged all the way from they'll do it if it'll keep them out of jail and this and that, all the way down to the other end. The Democrats will never allow Biden or his son Hunter to give up America's first, use your air quotes, 
black president. You know, and it's... Interesting responses. It's very interesting because any one of those could be absolutely correct. Exactly. I mean, you know, you you would think, hey, if if it's going to keep us out of jail, you know, maybe maybe we start uh, squawking a little bit here. But, you know, like other people said, they won't give up Obama. The, the Democrat hierarchy, the elite of the liberal socialist party, will not allow for that. I mean, I you know, it's hard to say what's going to happen. Right. We don't know. What we do know is the Democrats are going to, right now, at this point in time, they're still keeping Biden as, you know, the ticket, Biden and Harris. Um... If this gets dirty enough over the next maybe month or so, I wouldn't be surprised if suddenly Biden-Harris is replaced. And I see it coming. I smell it coming. Um, You know, a few weeks ago, I actually wrote an article about what I think is going to happen there. Right. Um, You know, and, and I think it's just a matter of time. I really do. You know, this this Devin Archer testimony yesterday is a real eye-opener, I think, to a lot of people because now it's getting harder and harder and harder for the the Democrat elite, the propagandists, and the mainstream media to continue to cover Biden's ass. I mean, it's really getting tough. I mean, when you're down to, you know, your, your primary uh, cover story now is they were talking about the weather. <laughs> I, you know, you're running out of so cover ludicrous. stories. Well, it's almost as ludicrous as we were sitting on the plane and the tarmac talking about grandkids. That's true. Yeah. I mean, come on. This whole thing. Look. You call it a crime syndicate. Everybody calls it by a different name. But the bottom line is this, in a way, is a form of treason in the form of malfeasance against the country. Sure. It's more than just crimes now. It is treason because you are allowing access to foreign entities to the president of the United States, who who knows what Obama would have disclosed. Or did disclose. Or did disclose, exactly. This goes beyond mere a crime syndicate. This goes all the way up to impeachment, which will never happen because the Senate will never do it. The House right. might impeach him, but it won't go through. But this really should detail serious jail time. Uh, I, I would agree. But listen, we're, we've only got about six minutes left in this segment, and we need to talk about something else here because one of the Republican candidates has put out really what looks to me to be a very good economic program. Yes. This is... Ron DeSantis's economic program for a pres- a DeSantis presidency. And everybody knows I support DeSantis for president. 
I will vote for Trump if he gets the nomination. But this man is all business. He is business without the baggage. He has a 10-point economic plan that, guys, I don't care who you support. You really just need to Google Ron DeSantis' economic plan. This plan is seriously workable and will get us back on track very, very fast. And what it is, it's a broad mix of conservative and populist guide points that puts corporate boardrooms, federal bureaucrats, China, and President Joe Biden's domestic policy on notice. It's basically what's called a Declaration of Economic Independence. It's a 10-point plan. I'm not going to go through it. You really should check it out, no matter who you support. It's a good, workable plan. And let me tell you something. Florida is now the number one state in the country, economically, freedom-wise, you name it. Our businesses are doing great. Our home industries are doing great. We are a great state, thanks to this man. I don't care who you vote for. I don't care who you're loyal to. But you need to look at this plan. And then think real hard when you get into that voting booth. You know, one of the things in the plan, we're not going to go through all of it. One of the things in the plan that I really like, because it deals with another article that I wrote a a while back, ending environmental, social, and government governance standards. That's the ESG uh, that I did a, a commentary on a few weeks ago. That is where you're getting all this woke crap. Exactly. You know, uh, that and and one of the other points, unleashing American energy independence. If you want to see our economy grow, we become energy independent again. Our economy is going to boom like never before. Exactly. And let me say one thing. The One of the reasons that I support Ron DeSantis over President Trump. President Trump was a great president. Cannot deny that. Economically, we were terrific. On the world stage, we were terrific. But right now, this is not the same man as 2016. He is running a campaign based on revenge politics. Revenge politics throughout history has shown does not produce winners. Yeah, it, it produces problems. Yes. And, and you know, things get ugly and things get sticky. You're kind of dealing with some of that uh, tonight in your segment, which is coming up just a few minutes. No one's owed the nomination. Right. And I will go into more detail in next week's article because people need to understand revenge politics backfires. Yeah, it it never ends well for the person who's seeking revenge. No. And, and, you know, this is not against President Trump. This is for America. Please at least look at 
Governor DeSantis's economic policies. You know, you, you, at first glance, when you look at uh, the 10-point the plan that Ron DeSantis put out there, you might look at that and go, well, this is all common sense, and you'd be right. The problem is this country has walked away from common sense. Right. And he talks about the military in it. And I stand by the thing, my personal belief, no one is better to handle the leadership of a military than someone who has served in the military. They know the daily goings on of the military, what it's like well, to be in war. They have the and pulse. Francis was a veteran, is yeah, a veteran, have- I should say. You know, a, a military veteran has the pulse of the military and, and, right. the, and the, the, you know, all the military personnel. They know because they ran up through the ranks. When you look at Ron DeSantis, you know, being a Navy SEAL, uh, becoming a JAG officer, you know, I mean, he understands where everybody is in the military and what the mindset is from Alpha well, to Well, let's Omega. make one correction here. He was not actually a Navy SEAL. He was the operational, I, I, I don't know the correct term, but he was more of an operational right. uh, head with with the SEALs. He wasn't a SEAL per se. Let's, let's get that straight. He was SEAL-ish. Yeah, he was sealish, yes. But he is a decorated officer. He was in Iraq. And yes, President Trump was commander-in-chief. But the difference between commander-in-chief is a commander-in-chief usually listens to the advice of those in the military. I personally feel a commander-in-chief who was military has an upper edge. Well, I agree with you. And in just a couple of seconds here that we have left, then we got to take the bottom of the hour break. I will tell you this. Nobody can vet the military better than somebody who's been in the military. Exactly. When when it comes to choosing who your leaders of the military is, your secretary of defense, secretaries of the Navy, the Army, you know, whatever, nobody's going to do a better job of vetting those people to pick the right people than somebody who was in that position to begin with. Exactly. Folks, we've hit the bottom of the hour. That means we got to take a bottom of the hour break. 30 minutes from now, I'm going to be talking about a revolving door of lies. But when we come back from the break, Diane's got it with no one's owed the nomination. Stay with us. There's more to come on Right Side Patriots after this. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk, where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. 
You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, check out The National Patriot at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on rspradio1.com. Greg Andreessen at the National Patriot, Diane Sori over there at the Patriot Factor. Getting you through the Tuesday night edition of the show, and if you miss any part of it, go to rspradio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button, and you've got it. We'll be there. Yes. All right, Diane, so we're, we're getting into the heat of the, uh, the campaign. Um, things are really going to start happening fast, I think, from here on out. We're looking at, uh, you know... Uh, Debates coming up uh, in short order, and, and uh, people are going to all the big swing states right now. And this has become a, a bit of a concern for a lot of people. So you've taken on the whole deal with no one's owed the nomination. Yes, and let me start by saying once again that if Donald J. Trump does garner the Republican nomination for president— that I will, for the third time, vote for him. However, I have clearly stated on social media, in print, and on the radio, that in 2024, personally, I would prefer to see Florida Governor Ron DeSantis as both the Republican nominee and as president, with the reasons why stated in my articles why DeSantis 2024 Part 1 and why DeSantis 2024 Part 2. And so in this article, there is no need to rehash my feelings as to the political and moral differences between the two men or why I support one over the other. What I intend to do here is present in my opinion as to why I believe the man who deems that 2024 is owed to him is as far off in that belief as Hillary was in believing that the presidency was owed to her back in 2016. But no, this article is not intended as a political hit piece against now candidate Donald J. Trump, for I know well that Trump was a great president, especially when it came to economics. Why so? Because an in-depth understanding of economics is the key driving force behind all successful businessmen. And Trump indeed was and still is a successful businessman whose business savvy when president not only allowed us to become energy independent, 
but resulted in the lowest inflation rate in 40 plus years, as well as his keeping consumer prices in check, while at the same time seeing job numbers, especially for minorities, soar. And his actions did result in a heightened sense of security along our southern border, as well as his court appointees, for the most part, leaning more decidedly to the right. And lastly, on the foreign policy front, President Trump's partial brokering of the Abraham Accords saw alliances forming between Israel and certain Arab nations that few would have ever thought possible thus ushering in a time-stamped modicum of stability and the hope for beginnings of vested uh, peace in the Middle East. And when President Trump being able to do all these great things while under the thumb of one Democrat-initiated witch hunt after another, kudos must be given for not only his above-stated accomplishments, but for his tenacity as well tenacity and standing ever strong against seemingly insurmountable odds. And he was able to do so while still pretending not to be a politician, while at the same time pretending to be a conservative. But in my eyes, Donald J. Trump is indeed the consummate politician, a media-generated so-called celebrity politician, now replete with the usual arrays of politically motivated lies told, veiled falsehoods and innuendos implied, silly and oh-so-childish name-calling of any who oppose him, along Craig with a more than healthy dose of narcissism thrown in for what some consider good measure. You know, narcissism can can cut two ways. And, you know, initially, when you go back to the 2016 campaign, it seemed to be cutting in the right direction. Now it seems to be cutting in the opposite direction. Because isn't there a base belief that Donald Trump has at this point that seems to be rather non-productive? Well... Yes, but first let's start by saying, and so the man who still at times pretends to be a conservative, which he has freely admitted on numerous occasions that he is not now, nor has he ever been a conservative, still believes that no matter the party label he wears or doesn't wear, no matter the legal actions that follow him, that abject and unwavering loyalty to him is not only required but demanded of all those who come into his self-deemed protective orb. Loyalty, as in one having unwavering allegiance to now candidate Trump alone. Loyalty based not just upon one's blind following devotion of sorts, but loyalty in the guise of a pledge made to him, no matter that common sense and applied logic should dictate otherwise. Such is the calling card of what's known as the only Trumpers, folks I now believe to be as politically dangerous to our country's future as are, obviously, the far-left Democrats. And dare not forget the still-in-existence folks known as never-Trumpers, those who were as who were as vehemently in their denial of Trump back in 2016 and 20, and 
who will be so again in 2024, even if it means they are voting for or writing in a fringe, no chance of winning candidate or simply not voting at all. And in Trump's continuing use of the word loyalty as being but a blanket to cover what in reality is the mandated worshiping of what I call the altar of Trump, what most forget is that loyalty must not be the sole property of one man, but that due to the ever-dangerous nature of current events, loyalty must now more than ever be proprietary to one's country and to its rule of law, in this case being the United States of America and the Constitution. Yet even with all I've just said, I will again vote for Donald J. Trump, but only, and I repeat only, if he's the Republican nominee. And this is no matter my knowing well that my vote will be wasted, a wasted vote, for the Democrat powers that be will never allow a second Trump presidency, especially when they're so wanted, Obama initiation, transformation of America, which thankfully for us has not yet reached its true and lasting fruition. But what's even more upsetting about the above stated scenario is that Trump already knows the final outcome of the Democrats' hoped for rematch of 2020's Trump v. Biden debacle as well as his knowing that today's Democrats have an exceedingly deep pocketbook, courtesy of George Soros, whose monies can easily help to manipulate the vote if need be. And this is the very same George Soros who Trump himself accepted money from back in 2004. Dunn-Craig in the guise of a $160 million loan, which enabled Trump to move forward, with the building of Trump Tower in Chicago, said monies came courtesy of a so-called mezzanine loan, a loan similar to a second mortgage in that higher interest rates apply than do the rates set and locked in as per the initial construction loan. You know, Soros just hangs like a specter over everything, it seems. You know, and you've got two very... Uh, well-to-do people, two, uh, you know, two people that run in the same economic circles, same socioeconomic circles, if you will. But there's, uh, there's some things about that that just don't quite add up to it being a rather benign situation, right? Absolutely. And, but let's start by saying, you know, while at this time the court of a public here, uh, let me t- start again. I'm having a little computer issues, guys. My computer overheard, heated earlier today. And while at the same time, the court of public opinion deemed this act, meaning when he took the money, to be but one wealthy businessman doing business with another wealthy businessman. And actually, there is no problem with that. Trump knew even back then about Soros's nefarious character his past ever-so-shady business endeavors, and his total disdain for America and all she proudly stands for. And yet Trump happily did business with George Soros, something that needs to be remembered when deciding whom to vote for come the primaries. 
simply the man who now relishes in using as his calling card the hugging and kissing of the American flag, put his garnering of the almighty dollar before his country. It cannot be said any plainer or more directly than that, even though he did so a decade before even thinking of running for president. And as history time and again has shown, one's past actions can not only come back to haunt, but can actually under certain circumstances be repeated, even if mistakenly done so. One must be reminded of past fallout, whether said fallout was positive or negative, for actions do have consequences, whether said consequences are deserved or not. And so Donald J. Trump, the man deemed to be both the anti-establishment candidate and president, the man who promised to take down Deep State, a.k.a. the Swamp, and the political establishment in both the Republican and Democrat parties, not only did not keep that promise, but has seen those entities actually growing stronger and more emboldened while on his watch. And while this in and of itself is not his fault, after all, Trump was and still is being mired down in a Democrat-initiated witch hunt, in addition to now serious legal charges being levied against him. But the problem here is, in the very enormity of these entities' strength, which could now border on the insurmountable with Trump as president again. Why so? simply because Trump's current still unresolved scandals, plus his third criminal indictment just recently having been handed down, as I was writing this today, we saw number four, of course, along with what will surely be newly manufactured personal scandals, will not only cast a hauntingly ominous shadow over what would actually be his lame duck presidency, but Craig it would overwhelmingly dictate the public discourse for so many years to come. You know, when you, when you look at the weekly indictment, and that's what it seems to be at this point, you know, you, you think eventually somebody in that position is going to be able to create some separation between themselves and the, the legal problems. Mm-hmm. But with, with Donald Trump, Let's say he wins the nomination. Let's say somehow he wins the White House. Do you foresee a scenario where he's able to separate himself from the ominous shadow you just mentioned? No. First of all, there's numerous court appearances awaiting as per the indictments. Appearances taking even more time away from a second Trump administration doing the people's business. Basically, when combining the two stated scenarios, the reality then becomes that nothing of substance will get done, all of which in turn will negatively affect not only the four years of his second presidency, but the 2028 presidential race as well. Simply, Republicans can kiss the White House goodbye for a generation or more, even before the first candidate in either party announces their 2028 presidential run. Again, why so? Because the already split Republican Party will have become even more of a pariah, drowning in a sea of ongoing criticism and contempt 
due to the always toxic environment when legal charges are rendered, along with campaign promises being made that were, for whatever reason, unable to be kept. Many Republicans, and especially independents, are already tired of the personal drama and baggage, political baggage, Trump carries. So even if they end up voting for him in 2024, because the opposition is rightly not an option, said baggage and drama could still negatively affect down-ticket Republican candidates, and this might well cause the Republicans to lose their now slim hold on the House, never mind taking back the Senate, which in turn would also cast an ominous foreboding in regards to 2028. The Republican Party in general is tired of not only the divisiveness within its own ranks, but tired of seeing other candidates good, morally decent candidates, and their messages being drowned out, not only by Trump's hateful rhetoric, but rhetoric now being coupled with the blindly worshipping voices of the crackling gaggle of only Trumper loyalists. The other candidates not only deserve to be heard, but deserve to be considered, for isn't the whole reason for voting being to put the best people in office, people who put America first before themselves. It used to be that way before revenge politics entered and dominated the scene, with revenge politics now having a name, as in Donald J. Trump and those who blindly worship at his altar. Of course, vote for Trump if he gets the nomination, but do consider others during the primaries, especially with word to the effect that Trump will not, as I write this, be debating any of his primary opponents. And in my opinion, it's because Trump's overinflated ego, his you-owe-me attitude, his current high poll numbers, which really are still too far out to matter, and maybe even his having a modicum of fear of debating certain persons will simply not allow it. Remember, no one is owed the nomination, not even Trump. And he, like all the others, should have to prove to the voters why they are worthy of their vote. Case closed. You know, there's uh, a lot of truth uh, in in this article, in this op-ed. And folks, I would encourage you to go to Diane's blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com, and grab the link to No One's Owed the Nomination and share it wherever you can, because people need to open their eyes. You know, people need to look at the bigger picture, and that's something that Diane and I do all the time. We step back and we look at the bigger picture of things, and everybody, you know, not everybody, but far too many people right now are only thinking about 2024, where Diane's looking ahead to 2028 and possibly 2032. Right. And the reason I'm looking ahead is because history has shown most of the greatest presidents do not accomplish their greatness, if you will, within their first term. It's always done within the second term. Case in point, Reagan, tear down the wall, and, you know, others in the past. The problem is, a second Trump presidency, he's a lame duck president, 
and he's going to be mired down in all these legal cases. Now it would he's, be a different it would be a different situation, right? If if Trump was running, if Trump had one term, somebody took over that kept his policies in place, and then Trump right. ran for a second term, that would be a whole different matter. But in this case, Trump is starting completely from scratch if he happens to get in. Right, and he's not going to have the time needed to accomplish all the great things he did during his first term. He's going to have to be in and out of court. He can't send his lawyers in for all of this. He's Excuse me, he's going to have to make a presence at some of these indictments or trials or whatever's going to happen. You know, folks, if you think Trump had to deal with a lot of distractions in his first term, that's going to pale in comparison to what they're going to throw at him should he get a second term. Right. We all know these are false charges. We know that. But that's not the point anymore. The point is it's going to be time-consuming. His presidency, if he gets it, is going to nosedive into drama and theatrics. And 2028, no matter if God himself ran for president, we're not going to win. Don't give the holier-than-thou something to glean on to. Well... I say that with air quotes, okay? <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of truth in this, and this is why, you know, and Diane says at the, at the end of the op-ed, the others deserve to be heard, you know, and part yes. of that is what we talked about in the opening segment, you know, when we talked about Ron DeSantis's economic plan, the ten-point plan, you, you got to look at that. Folks, you know, I don't care if you're in the DeSantis camp now or not. You need to look at that because that is a brilliant blueprint for moving ahead. Right. And the candidates that I really think people need to listen to are Nikki Haley. She knows more about foreign policy and foreign affairs expertise than probably anyone running because she was UN ambassador and she stood up to the most vile of people. They need to listen to her. They list, need to listen to Tim Scott. They they need to you know to listen to whoever you want. But this is well, you can't just blind yourself no, I mean, and now, say it's Trump or we're not going to vote, we're going to write somebody else in and if you do that you're going to be handing uh, literally handing they don't even need to cheat you're going to be handing Biden the nomination or whoever I still or don't whoever. think, it, I right. still don't think it's going to be Joe Biden but now is the time to do your comparison and contrast now is the time right. to look at all the candidates, see where they stand on the issues, and and see what their plans are moving forward. Don't base your future vote on the past. Base it on the future. Right. And technically, primary season, 
leading into the next presidential nomination usually starts right after Labor Day. And you have plenty of time, guys. We've got the whole month of August. Look at look at the other candidates, all of the other candidates. Some of them are a joke. But I'm not going to speak ill of Republicans. I honor Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment. Yes, you can, uh, you know, say stuff about their um, political views and that, but I'm not going to name call any of the other candidates. You have to seriously take a look at all the others. If you still want to support and vote for Trump, more power to you. Nobody's telling you not to. But don't do it for the wrong reasons. Revenge politics always fails. Yeah, it just it just doesn't end well for the person who's engaged in it because right. there's there's no looking ahead. There's no forward thinking. There's no plan for the future. It's all based on the past. Well, I'll go even further than that. Revenge politics will destroy this country. Yeah, cuz there's no end to it. There's I mean, no that's end. That, that's the biggest problem with it. Once that ball gets rolling, there's no way to stop it. And one side will do it, and the other side will do it, back and forth and back and forth. And you, you absolutely destroy any advantage this country ever had when all you're doing is looking backwards and, and, and aiming all your arrows backwards. Yeah. You Crazy. see, remember, revenge politics sunk Hillary. Yes, well. it did. Yes, it She's did. She's an because, example. Yeah, she was owed it. She was the anointed one. Yes. You know, and she yep. didn't think she had to look for it. She just thought she had to be there. That's right. And remember, Obama was lead, uh, was behind her in the polls. <clears throat> Excuse me, right up until the very end. Right. And suddenly, we got Obama. Oh, goody. So, yeah, don't make mistakes, you know, like what happened for the Democrats. We've got to be above the Democrats. We've got to do things right. Loyalty should not be to a person. Loyalty should be to our country and our Constitution. Plain and simple. Folks, go to Diane's blog at thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com. Grab the link to No One's Owed the Nomination and share it every place you can. With that, we've run out of time in this segment, which means we've got one segment to go. And when we come back from that segment, I'm talking about a revolving door of lies. Stay with us, folks. There's plenty more to come on Right Side Patriots after this. Hey guys, Diane Sorry from The Patriot Factor on thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com where I found a home base seven years ago after becoming one of Facebook's long-time Facebook felons, or so I've been told by the Facebook gods. On my blog, you will find not only my articles, but our Right Side Patriots investigative reports, as well as stories and links to and from well-known writers and bloggers, plus what I call almost daily memes, my snarky take on news of the day. And for more great takes on the issues of the day, Check out the National Patriot 
at thenationalpatriot.com, where you can read Craig's insight into all the current news happenings. And join us both on Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. EST at rspradio1.com. You're listening to Right Side Patriots Radio, the best in conservative commentary, news, and talk where we do away with the politically correct nonsense and give you the politically direct truth. This is the home of Right Side Patriots every Tuesday and Friday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern with Craig Andreessen and Diane Sori. We're working to make this country great again from the right and leaving puddles of melted snowflakes on the left. Thanks for listening to Right Side Patriots, your best bet on the Internet. You're listening to RSPRadio1.com. Welcome back to Right Side Patriots on RSPRadio1.com. Craig Andreessen and Diane Sorry getting you through the Tuesday night edition of the show. And if you miss any part of it, go to RSPRadio1.com tomorrow morning, click the podcast button, and have at it. Um, Diane apparently bought the menopausal unit when she bought her computer a couple of years ago. Um, it's having hot flashes. Is that what's going on there? No, what happened during the last segment, um, it had gotten very hot in the afternoon. I'm in South Florida. The heat came in. The sun came in. The computer was sitting on a very hard board. I'm in a special chair, um, a zero gravity chair because my back went out a little bit. So it was very hot, and I guess I just thought of it. I didn't shut it down. I put it on sleep. Oh. So the heat built up. And at first I didn't think we were going to get on the air, Craig, (laughs) because it took a while for it just to cool off enough to power up again. Yikes. And right in the middle of my segment, I guess – the way in the chair with the computer balancing on me, it heated up a little again. I lifted it up and it cooled down. Well, maybe you want to store that thing in the refrigerator tonight. No, I think it was it was my fault. I I left it on sleep because I had everything lined up. I oh, should have shut yeah. it down. Yeah. yeah, it was my fault. But it's cooling off now. It's fine. Nothing's going to happen to this computer. But for that minute, the screen got red. <laughs> well, that's conservative red, so that's really not a, a concern. Yes. Okay. We'll just go with that. Okay, so we've okay. got one segment left here tonight, and we're talking about the whole Biden scandal. And, and, you know, all this stuff about Hunter's businesses and, and Biden's dealings with those businesses. So I put together a commentary called A Revolving Door of Lies. 
Last mm-hmm. Wednesday afternoon on the 26th of July, Karine Jean-Pierre, Joe Biden's official propagandist, said from the press room podium, quote, As I stated on Monday, when I was asked this question multiple times, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed on this, unquote. Except it has changed. For the past several years, the standard line has always been that Joe Biden never had spoken to his son Hunter regarding Hunter's business dealings. So let's go back a couple of years, and if you go to my blog, you can actually hear from Joe Biden himself when he was asked about his involvement with Hunter's business dealings. I've got videos got in there where Joe says that he never had any idea what his son's business deals were all about and never spoke to Hunter about his overseas business deals. For years, Joe Biden has claimed that he never spoke to Hunter about those business dealings. Jen Psaki said over and over again that Joe had never spoken to Hunter about his business dealings. Karine Jean-Pierre has said over and over again that Joe has never spoken to Hunter about his business dealings. Joe Biden has never spoken to Hunter about his business dealings. Never spoken to him. So, on Wednesday, July 26, Fox News journalist Jillian Turner posed this question to Corrine Jean-Pierre. Quote, Chairman James Comer today says that the Oversight Committee has evidence that the president in the past communicated directly with foreign business associates of his son Hunter Biden many times. Curious if the White House and the president still stand behind his comment that he's never been involved and has never even spoken to his son about his business, unquote. Diane, the propagandist's response was really interesting. Jean-Pierre said, quote, So I've been asked this question a million times. The answer is not going to change. The answer remains the same. The president was never in business with his son. I just don't have anything else to add. Unquote. Really? Well, I think, you know, we have a little bit of what they call a word soup going on here, where you try to sort of manipulate the words enough where it's not a lie, but it is a mistruth. Well, I agree with you. Look, something changed, and we all know it. We all of a sudden went from Joe Biden has never spoken to Hunter about Hunter's business dealings to Joe Biden has never been in business with Hunter Biden. The answer has changed. The answer does not remain the same. Another reporter then asked the propagandist why the language has changed, and Corrine Jean-Pierre answered again, flying in the face of reality. The only thing that hasn't changed and the only thing that remains the same is that Joe Biden and his propagandists, whether they're from the podium or the mainstream media, are still lying about Joe's involvement in Hunter's influence peddling schemes and the millions upon millions of dollars that Joe and at least eight other members of the Biden family crime syndicate have raked in. We know Thanks to a growing mountain of evidence gleaned from Hunter's laptop, 
text messages, whistleblower testimony, and Biden bank records that Joe was indeed intimately involved with Hunter's business dealings and that Joe was making quite the profit from selling access to the office of then vice president and quite possibly to Obama back in the day. That, of course, begs the question, has anything changed since Joe started occupying the Oval Office? Ask any Democrat in office or their mainstream media propagandists, and they'll tell you with a straight face that there is no evidence of Hunter Biden engaging in such business affairs. And with an equally straight face, they'll tell you that there is absolutely nothing linking Joe to Hunter's illegal business dealings. But that's simply not true. There are mountains of such evidence, and more is coming out almost daily. Joe Biden was in on all of it, and bank records prove at least nine members of the Biden Biden family crime syndicate were getting paid. Diane, Joe did have meetings with Hunter's business partners, and those are well documented not only via Hunter's laptop, but also by White House visitor logs. Joe did participate in phone calls with Hunter's business partners in crime, and he did engage in the quid pro quo with Ukraine regarding Burisma and the fired prosecutor. Well, it kind of gets even worse than that because wasn't there actually bribe monies paid out? There seems to be. Recent revelations regarding text messages has revealed that there was a $10 million bribe paid out with $5 million going to Hunter and the other 5 going to Joe. When Joe and his propaganda say there is no evidence, they're flat out lying. Don't they know that there are records and videos that expose their lies, or are they just hoping that people are stupid enough to believe those lies despite the videos and the documents. Let's just go by the numbers here. Joe Biden has stated brashly at least eight times over the past few years, and he's on video doing that. He says, I never spoke to my son about his overseas business dealings, unquote. Joe has also denied ever meeting with Joe's or with Hunter's business partners. But there is documented evidence that Joe did meet with those business partners, 14 of them, on 16 separate occasions between 2010 and 2018. The list is long, but I have provided a link so you can actually see the list of when those meetings took place. (coughs) There are, in fact... Some 80 documented cases of Hunter Biden's business partners meeting with Joe Biden. 80! And yet Joe and the propagandists continue to claim that there is no evidence that Joe was part of the illegal activity. Then there's this, a phone message recovered from Hunter's laptop where we clearly hear Joe telling his crack-addicted son, quote, Hey, pal, it's Dad. It's 8.15 on Wednesday night. If you get a chance, give me a call. Nothing urgent. I just wanted to talk to you. I thought the article released online, it's going to be printed tomorrow in the Times, was good. I think you're clear. And anyway, if you get a chance, give me a call. I love you. Unquote. That call was relating to Hunter 
deal with CEFC, a Chinese oil company with whom Hunter had some sort of business deal. But wouldn't you just know it, CEFC, the Chinese oil company, is the same company Hunter was trying to shake down for cash in the recently revealed text conversation where Hunter was trying to intimidate Raymond Zhao, his Chinese business partner? Diane, he told Zhao in this message, quote, I'm sitting here with my father and we would like to understand why the commitment made has not been fulfilled. Tell the director that I would like to resolve this now before it gets out of hand. And now means tonight. And Z, if I get a call or text from anyone involved in this other than you, Zhang, or the chairman, I will make certain that between the man sitting next to me and every person he knows and my ability to forever hold a grudge that you will regret not following my direction, I am sitting here waiting for the call with my father, unquote. Now, what's very interesting about this, this all took place on a certain date. And isn't there some incriminating evidence proving what really happened and when it happened? I'm not so sure it's incriminating, but it is certainly strong circumstantial evidence that cannot be ignored. True. Okay, the date was July 30th, 2017. Where was Hunter on July 30th, 2017? Well, he was with Joe. There are dated photos of Hunter in Joe's Corvette with a couple of women verifying that date. We know at the very least that the two were together on the date in question. Now, another lie that Joe's been telling for years regarding Hunter's business dealings is that Hunter never made any money from China. And during mm-hmm. the 2020 debate against Donald Trump, when Trump accused Hunter of raking in money from China, Joe responded by stating, quote, My son has not made money in terms of this thing about what you're talking about, China. The only guy, and he's pointing to Trump, the only guy who made money from China is this guy. He's the only one. Nobody else has made money from China, unquote. You can watch the video. I've got it embedded in my blog at thenationalpatriot.com. But hold up just a minute. Last week, when Hunter's sweetheart deal imploded, Hunter told the judge that he did make money from China, $664,000. We also know that figure is just the tip of the iceberg as bank records show plenty more. Seems that neither Hunter nor Joe can keep track of what lies the other's been telling. So, how does he get away with so many lies without repercussions? Joe Biden has the DOJ running interference for him on a daily basis, and he has the mainstream media propagandists parroting the lies nonstop through the 24-7 news cycles. He has nothing to fear from telling lie after lie after lie. Joe Biden has always been a congenital liar, but now, in his diminished mental capacity, it could be that he doesn't even know He's lying anymore. He's just reading the cards, the teleprompter, or repeating lies whispered into his ear by his handlers. But that raises another interesting problem moving forward. 
What happens if Joe Biden does get the Democrat nomination in 2024? He can't be caught in a debate, and his handlers, along with his puppet master, Obama, know it. They can't trot old Joe onto a debate stage and have him confronted by whoever the Republican nominee might be. Not when the Republican nominee will be armed to the teeth with all the evidence that continues to be exposed. As more comes out, and more will come out, the cesspool of lies told by Joe Biden only gets deeper, and it will become harder and harder even for his handlers to keep spinning from old lies to new lies. The stories will have to keep changing regardless of how hard Jean-Pierre tries to convince us that the stories haven't changed and new lies will stand in contradiction to the old lies. Now we're getting wind of a possible offshore bank account or accounts tied to the Biden family crime syndicate and quite possibly to Joe Biden himself. I think we can all see a steady influx of lies and denials coming even as the evidence presents itself. Liars will keep lying, and whistleblowers who would rather not get caught up in the legal woes created by those lies will continue to blow whistles. Maybe the reason Joe Biden keeps falling down is because the truth keeps nipping at his heels. You know what's amazing to me about a lot of this? Here you have Hunter Biden having no background in the fields that he was making all this money from. Yet he's making all this money from this because he thinks that daddy was important enough that these people are going to want to get to daddy. The thing is, they never wanted to get to daddy. They wanted to get higher up than daddy. Right, but they didn't have a choice. You see, those people couldn't go directly to Obama. They had to go to somebody who could go to Obama. That's why they put Hunter on the board. That's why they were paying Hunter millions upon millions of dollars. Because Hunter could get them access to the guy who could get them access to Obama. And, folks, if you think that these people didn't have any access, that Joe never gave them access, you're fooling yourself. Well, yeah. I mean, look, it's common sense. You know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist. Look, I can look at a Raptor 3 rocket engine from SpaceX, and I know that thing's got a tremendous amount of thrust. But if you ask me how that engine works and and which line is connected to what and what tube goes where, I don't have a freaking clue. But my common sense tells me you pour liquid methane and liquid oxygen through it and light a big lighter underneath it, and you're going to get burned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. I mean, this is that kind of common sense. And you know what's very funny about all this? You know, we, we know... Obama's involved in this. How come none of the talking heads in the media have said, gee, Obama always opens his mouth. How come he's so eerily quiet now? Right, until until things get a little bit out of hand with Joe, and then he steps in to take you know a little bit of heat off Joe, get people looking at him so Joe can gather himself up and have another ice cream cone. 
Yeah, but the thing is, he doesn't want to be connected with this at all. No, even and- though he is, he is connected directly with it, in my opinion. And I agree with you. And that's why every time you do see Obama step up and say something, it's got nothing to do with this. It's just Obama coming out of his hole to see if the sun's shining. You know, he comes out, he he talks about something completely unrelated to this and draws the attention of the media away from Joe Biden and to him because, well, he's Obama. Well, you know what's going to happen if somehow the pieces are all put together and Obama is proven to somehow be involved in this, it's suddenly going to become racist. Oh, yeah. You can smell that coming. coming. You bet. You bet. All of a sudden, the race card will get played and, and, you know, then everybody who looks at the evidence and, and sees the evidence for what it is will be a systemic racist. Exactly. I mean, that's why it's it's that transparent now. It's that easy to predict now. But you know what, Craig? That's why nothing's going to happen to right. Biden. Right. Right. Look, the worst that's going to happen to Biden is that the party elite, the liberal party elite, will simply go to him and say, "Joe, you got to you got to step aside." We'll right. protect you. We'll make sure nothing happens to you down the road. But you got to get out of this. Right. And, you know, Hunter's going to get off with very little. Right. I mean, they've got all of August to work up a new plea deal for Hunter because they have to present it, I think, on September 1st. Um, yeah. And, you know, we're, we're all waiting with bated breath to see what kind of sweetheart deal that turns out to be. Yeah, because we it's know the same judge, she might not buy it. <laughs> well, I know that's the thing, you know. But we also know that the DOJ is working with Hunter's attorneys. They're colluding. They're trying sure. to come up. I mean, they're not adversaries in this thing. They're on the same side. The prosecution and the defense both want to get Hunter off. Exactly yeah. for different <laughs> reasons, but they both want to get him off. Right, you know. And I mean, this this is just this is crazy. You know what's going on. But like I call it, it's a revolving door of lies. And you can go to my blog, thenationalpatriot.com, grab the link to a revolving door of lies and share that, spread that around everywhere. Because I guarantee you a lot of the things I talk about in this, you're going to see come up again and again and again. Of course. Of course. Now I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you think the House and McCarthy... We'll go through with the impeachment knowing it will fail in the Senate. Yeah, that's that's a really good question. They've they're talking about opening an impeachment inquiry. And folks, you need to understand something. That doesn't mean impeachment. They're looking right. at what are impeach, impeachable offenses that have been taking place. So it's a it's a precursor to anything. Whether or not they try to go through with it, knowing it'll fail in the Senate, I doubt it. That's my gut feeling. I doubt that they try it because they won't get anywhere in the Senate. It'll get shut down. Do you think, and this is just a thought, it doesn't mean it will happen. Do you think Trump will push for an impeachment being that he was impeached twice? I think so. 
I again, that's my gut feeling. I think I think Trump will eventually come out and say that Joe needs to be impeached. Um, you know, and I, let me let me throw a caveat into this. The only reason McCarthy might go through with it, I don't think he will, but the only reason he might is because at least in the House, there will be evidence presented, and it will all become part of the official record. There's um, another reason. There's another reason why he'll go through with it. Okay. Because remember how he got his, his speakership. One person goes against him, and he's removed. That's not that's not entirely true. It takes one person against him to call for a vote to remove him, but that right. doesn't get him automatically right. removed. I you know it's kind of like what you're talking about with this ominous shadow and and looking ahead to 2024. If we impeach Joe Biden at this point uh, with with barely over a year to go in his presidency over something that will never be that he'll never be convicted of in the Senate, even though he's guilty as all hell. Right. It, it, it becomes uh, a circus act. You can present all the, all the hard evidence you want. You can present it on tape. You can call in the witnesses and this time it'd be different than the, than the witnesses against Trump. These witnesses actually witness things. Right. You know, when when they called witnesses against Trump, they had to admit under oath that they never witnessed a damn thing. Right. You know, but we already have, yeah, we already have the whistleblowers on the record under oath, including Devin Archer now, that all witnessed things. You got Bobolinsky that witnessed things. You know, you've got Joe on tape. You got Joe bragging about the quid pro quo. You got bank records. You got all this stuff, you know. I mean, I, I, my gut tells me they're not going to do it. Um, at this point, I think the best we can hope for, and it's not much, but I think the best we can hope for is that they expose everything they can in these House committees. They get it all on the record. They get it all out there in public so that down the road, when there is a new administration, Republican administration, and we have a DOJ that's actually interested in pursuing crimes, mm-hmm. real crimes, that something might be done then. I think that's the best we can hope for. Like I said, it's not much. Well, I don't. I personally don't think anything is going to happen because remember all the promises, I'm going to drain the swamp. Nothing was done. Nobody was arrested. Nobody was tried. Nobody was charged. I think a lot of the stuff going on in D.C. is just all for show. Yeah, I mean, you know, draining the swamp sounds like a good idea, and I'd love to see it happen. I don't know that it's ever even possible. I don't think it is. I, I mean, you know, you look at the depth and the, and the muck and the mire uh, that's involved in the swamp. Uh, it's not as simple as pulling the plug and it all goes away. Right. You know, hey, remember the promises? Hillary's going to be charged and this and that. Nothing happened nothing to happened. anybody. Nothing happened. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, there, there, 
In, in my part of the country out here in north central Nebraska, we call that all hat and no cattle. Okay. You know, it's, it's a lot of big talk. Doesn't really mean much. Yeah. And I yeah. think that's that's the sad state we're in right now. And I will go back to something I have said for years. All this started under Obama. No doubt about it. And I think more and more people are catching on to the fact that that is true. Yeah. You know, I I see more and more people, uh, you know, hearkening back to that and saying, yeah, that's, that's where this all started. You know, and you can trace a lot of different things back to the fundamental transformation of America. Yeah. And you can also, if I had a son, he'd look like Trayvon. There's there's where all the systemic racism comes from. Yep, exactly. You know, and that's a big part of it. I think I was one of the first to, to really harp on this, and it's yep. all coming back. Folks, we're almost out of time for tonight's show. Grab Diane's op-ed by either going to her blog, thepatriotfactor.blogspot.com or going to rspradio1.com. Either way, you can get the link and share it. You can do my commentary by going to my blog, thenationalpatriot.com or rspradio1.com. Again, either way, grab the link, share it everywhere. Good news, I'm slowly getting back on Facebook. Yay! It means I don't have to do double posting every day. <laughs> you know, hopefully I can get back into some of the groups I was in before. Hopefully I can reconnect with uh, some of the people uh, that I was connected to before. Had a great conversation today uh, by phone with one of the great patriots that Diane and I are both connected with through Facebook, and that's Kenny Bowers. And mm-hmm. uh, just just had a great conversation with him. And, uh, and he's going to help spread the word that I'm coming back onto Facebook. Uh, and so hopefully, hopefully in, in the next few weeks, I will slowly build up the number of groups I'm in and the number of people I'm connected to so I can get the word out even more. Yes. But with that, Diane, you and I have run out of time for this show. So we say nighty night, folks. Have a great rest of the week, folks. We'll catch up with you again on Friday. Bye-bye.